and welcome to this week's episode of the Bucket List Gamers podcast. This is episode eight. My name is Eddie and I'm joined once again by my co-host Jay. Hello. There he is. And today we are doing a double bill. We are doing Shadow of the Colossus and Ico. So both by Team Ico, a video game developer studio. Um, we will start with Ico because it is the lowest on the list or highest depending on how you look at it. So Ico is position 91 and Shadow of the Colossus is 53. So yeah, if we are going to start with Ico, I- I've got a quite a soft spot for the pair of them as games, to be honest with you. Um, I know Jay has been <laughs> dreading this particular podcast because you're not a fan. Uh, I-, I think, yeah, Ico I'd not heard of. So it's not that I wasn't a fan of that one. It just passed me by when it came out. Probably not looking at either of the covers, because I know it's got a different cover, or it had a different cover in America to over here. Neither of those covers would have drawn me in. So it was probably one that unless somebody recommended it to me, I wouldn't have gone for, and I didn't. And then Shadow of the Colossus was one that I picked up on Game Pass, I think it was, or it might have been PlayStation Plus, because uh, a friend at work kept going on about how good it was and I sort of sat and played it for two or three hours and was not impressed in the slightest with it and I know a lot of people love it a lot of people really love it and I know it's influenced a lot of games but for me it just does absolutely nothing for me it's I don't know I don't want to slate it too early because we're going to look at Ico first and maybe I'll warm to it in the when I hear how much you love it maybe that'll tip me over but I can't see it but Ico I have I haven't had a chance to play it because I couldn't find a copy of it quick enough and I don't know if it's on any of the virtual stores or stuff but I didn't fancy spending any more money once I'd been rinsed for Shenmue so I didn't actually pick it up but I did watch some let's plays of it and saw what it was all about and a little documentary about it and watched a couple of people playing through it and I think I would have enjoyed it a lot more than Shadow of the Colossus it seems like it's got a lot more going on for it there's a lot of puzzle platforming in it, which I don't usually mind. And there seems to be quite a bit of sort of action mechanics and enemies to fight and that kind of thing, which Shadow of the Colossus is missing other than the big colossi, I suppose you would call them. So it looks like it probably would have been more my cup of tea. And maybe if I'd have played through that and I'd have got more into it, then I would have been a bit more open to Shadow of the Colossus being set in a similar world and a similar style and that kind of thing. But for me, it just passed me by, unfortunately. And it seems like it's quite a hard one to to get hold of these days, or at least I couldn't get hold of a copy of it quickly anyway. So Yeah, they did the original in 2001 for the PS2, and then they did a high-definition remaster for the PS3 where they they put them both together on the same disc. Um, but other than that, they've not done anything with it, and I Ico is probably the more accessible of the two. But I, th- I think the thing that puts people off with Ico is the fact that it's one massive escort quest. So basically, you're you're a young lad called Ico, the titular character, and you are escorting Yorda, who is a, a princess. Uh, around a castle with full of puzzle rooms and you keep getting mobbed by shadow monsters that are trying to take Yorda away from you. 
I don't think I'd have hated it that much because it was an escort. Like usually, I hate escort quests. I've been over this previously. They're the worst thing to introduce into games, as far as I'm concerned. That and quick time events. They can just take them all away. It's amazing. I love Resident Evil Four as much as I do because two of the things I absolutely hate the most are in that game. But Ico didn't look too bad from what I saw of it because a lot of it you're not hand well. You literally hand holding in some parts of it, but. It's not like she's completely useless and runs into danger and like Ashley does in Resident Evil. You, a lot of the time, she's just sat waiting for you to figure out a path to get her through it, which I don't mind too much. So from what I picked up of it, you are a lot more sort of dexterous and you can climb over bits and jump distances that she can't, whereas she's got the powers to unlock doors that you can't get through. So you have this sort of symbiotic relationship where one of you helps the other and vice versa, and you both needed to get out of this castle that you're locked in. So the whole part point of the game for Aiko is to find a path for her that she can go along because she can't climb up buildings, she can't jump over bigger gaps, she can't climb chains, that kind of thing that he can. So I don't think I'd mind that much because you, even though it is an escort quest, you're sort of on your own for a lot of it and then you just unlock a path and then she follows you and there's a bit bits where you have to drag her away from enemies. And But she didn't seem as useless as a lot of escort mission partners usually are. No, she is she is helpless. Um, so she she don't can't defend herself, and she won't fight back, and she won't she won't run away from the monsters that are trying to take her away. And she is a little bit of an oblivious little moo, to be fair, to the point where you can push blocks into place, and then she'll just stand there and look at you. So you have to ju- climb down and practically grab her, rub her face on the rock, so that she actually goes, oh, right, I'm supposed to climb this, am I? And we'll climb up after you eventually. But yeah, she can be a little bit dense, can you order? But um, yeah, she, it, she's not as frustrating, fingernail-pulling-off, agonising gameplay like Ashley is, who will run at an enemy who's coming to pick her up <laughs> rather than run away from them. I've been playing Resident Evil 4 more again this week, and just to take a little divergent off onto Ashley again, gosh, she's so useless. And she's, she's, like I said in the other episode, she actively seeks out getting into trouble. You tell her to hang back, and she will hang back in a, in a big group of enemies. Or you tell her to stay close to you, and she will literally run in front of your gun, screaming and shouting when you're trying to pick people off. And the only bit where I've been even slightly endeared to her is when you do the shooting galleries and she sits on that barrel and like shouts encouragement. And I thought, oh, that's that's quite nice. And then you go out and she immediately runs into one of the monks that picks her up and starts carrying her away. And you have to stop what you're doing to take his knees out and rescue her again. And oh, the bit with the, there's a part in it where you're on some turrets and the firing cannons or catapults at you. And she will just walk into where the, the cannonball or the firing ball thing's going to land, then get knocked down, and then by the time you've helped her back to her feet, another one hits both of you, and it's almost like a suicide mission. It took me three or four goes just to get past that bit because she was dawdling about and getting hit by everything that, that got thrown at us. And the two bits where we've been split up since have been the best, the most enjoyable parts of the game for me, but then she's back again five minutes later and you have to carry on, and it's it's just frustrating. And, and there's one bit as well where you're running up a hill away from someone and her only job is to get away from that person. And she just stands there and waits for him to come and pick her up. And that took me a good eight goes 
and they're all they all count as deaths for you, even though you've not done anything wrong. And as soon as he grabs her, you can't even stop him, can you? Because he's like a a huge boss, so nothing affects him. So yeah, as soon as he caught up to her, that was it. She was off, and that happened about eight times before I eventually just got like. I like got like three or four shotgun shells left. I'm I'm just gonna have to waste these to get through this bit because otherwise we're gonna be here all day. So I had to go and blow a few people up with shotguns rather than just running through them all, which would have been a lot easier. But no, sorry about that little tangent. But it's it just frustrates me to no end. And I just the the little girl in Ico Yoda doesn't look anywhere near as bad as that, at least in my opinion, anyway. No, the the only thing, other thing you've got to wrestle with in Ico is the fact that it's sort of fixed camera. So in addition to the puzzle platforming and the the the, the combat's quite, again, it's a bit sticky. Like we said last week with Castlevania, um, this is a bit janky to to be polite, really. Um, and the, so you walk into a new room and the camera is fixed. So it doesn't. It's not like a proper tracking camera, but it will slowly pan with you. Um, so as you're walking from one side of the room to the other, it will pan with you, but you can't free three D rotate. And it's a three D platformer, so that does come with its own sort of issues because jumping in a three D space while you've got a fixed camera is is never an exact science, to be fair. Um, which is why a lot of two D platformers do a lot better. Um, in terms of overall ratings and performance. I did notice that jumping off chains, for example, when you had a tight target to jump through, seemed quite tricky to the people that were playing it because, like you say, you've not got that direct behind camera angle to line it up properly, so you're sort of taking a bit of a leap of faith and hoping that you land on that little section that you need to. So yeah, I can get that. I think that's a an issue with a lot of these sort of isometric 3D games where you're looking at it from a slight angle just to the side. It's always difficult to ju- judge jumping on those because you never actually... Unless they've implemented really good shadow mechanics so you can see where you're going to land, it's always really difficult to do jumps like that. And I didn't notice whether Ico got the shadows thing or not. You do get a bit, uh, but it's it's similar to things like um, Little Big Planet and um, Little Nightmares, where you are, it is a 2D plane, but there is depth to it as well. And, and with a fixed camera, again, similar to um, Little Big Planet, again, you do have a pretty fixed camera and it just sort of pans with you. Yeah, d- jumping when you've got the option of going too far into the depth of the screen rather than just too far width-wise is, is always a bit... I always find it a bit odd, and I find that yeah. more frustrating than most of the gameplay within the game, to be honest with you. The fighting mechanics of it looked a bit, like you say, sticky. To me, it looked like you sort of got locked in animations quite a bit. So if you started an attack and it was missing, you couldn't quickly pivot and carry on the attack. You were stuck in that animation until it finished. Then you could turn around and carry on attacking, and that's something that I think has got a lot better over the years. It, it seemed to be a bit of an issue in earlier games where... They've programmed in an attack animation and it's going to finish it, whether it's doing the job or not, and then you can carry on after that. And I think Ico suffered from that a bit from what I could see. So I get the the stickiness that you mentioned in there with the controls. And... Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's predominantly because it's not primarily a combat game. It, it's, it, it does fall into the really, really vague action-adventure 
genre that literally could be replaced by people going to places and doing things as a genre. <laughs> Um, but they just pile all these sort of things. I think it's when they don't know how to categorize a game. They just go, oh, it's action-adventure, because it's got a bit of action and there's some adventure in there. But it it's more of a puzzle platformer with slight combat elements in it, really, because um, it's not predominantly based around the combat. It's one of those things, games back then, and I've noticed it more and more as we started looking at this list and I've been looking at more older games. A lot of games back in the day, you look at them and it's all based around a gimmick, like one or two little gimmicks, and then they make a full game out of it. Whereas these days, those bits would be part of a bigger game. Back then, that was your 45 quid on on that gimmick, and then the whole game was fleshed out around it. And there's quite a lot of them, especially if you go a bit further back to like SNES and Mega Drive. There's loads of games for that where you think this would be a mini game in a game these days. But back then, that was your full game that you'd paid for. And and like we said last week, you didn't get many. So you played it to death whether you loved it or not. And these days, I think things have moved on that much. It's almost a bit of a shame the way that things have gone because you don't get those cool little games anymore. You get a half-baked version of it in a much bigger game. Whereas if they flesh that out into a full game, it could be quite fun for 20, 25 quid. These days, you're not getting that. So it is. It's, this is one of those, I think, where it's sliding boxes and climbing and, and navigating terrain. That is it. That is pretty much the gimmick. And it's like almost each room is split into a level, isn't it? Each room is a new puzzle. If this was a game these days, it'd be a mobile game where you got three stars for getting it done quickly and you move on to the next level, which is the next room, and then you do it again and you do it again. So it's more that kind of game. But then I think the the things it's really got going for it are it looks great, it looks really pretty, and the environments are really well done. And they they fit like a castle fits because you you're figuring out how to trigger drawbridges or there's doors that are barricaded and you have to find a bomb to blow them up or there's bits of crumbling architecture which is like a a signature of the ico studio games isn't it they always have that crumbling architecture so it all makes sense that it's in a castle to to have all those things whereas in a different setting it would probably be an invisible barrier or or something like that which wouldn't be as immersive so there's no hood there's no tutorial, there's no text on the screen to tell you what you're doing. You literally get thrown in and here it is, go for it, figure it out. So you get that real level of immersion. And I think that is the thing that I would have loved about it had I played it, which is something that I'm a bit upset I missed out on. But it's also one that I can't imagine I would have spent hours and hours on, like some people, which I think you probably did yourself. I think I would have got fed up of it, unless it was one of those scenarios where it's the only thing I had to play. And I felt like I needed to get my money's worth out of it. Another thing that's been a bit ruined these days with Game Pass and things like that. You don't give a lot of games that much of a chance because it didn't cost you anything and there's a thousand more sat on the store. So you play it for 10 minutes and if it doesn't click with you immediately, you're susceptible to binning it off and picking something else. Whereas back when we had to go and buy discs and actually go to a physical shop and get it, if you played it for 10 minutes and didn't really like it, you'd give it another 20 and see how it progressed. Whereas now you wouldn't, you'd just uninstall it and pick something else. And I'm sure we'll do an episode at some point on the impact of PS Plus and Game Pass and all that kind of thing, because there are loads of perks to it, but it just makes everyone a little bit more dismissive, I think, which is not necessarily fair to, to developers. And it also 
makes them develop in a way that they have to give you the world in the first 10 minutes, otherwise people are going to switch off. Yeah, I think I think that's definitely a fair thing to say because we've, like you say, we've moved away from these crafted experiences where they give you one or two like mechanics that are fundamental to a game and they, they stretch it to a full game and they get a full game's worth out of it. Whereas now you just get these bland, homogenous messes of a game that you've played 20 of already. It, it's like the Ubisoft. Assassin's Creed now is exactly the same, only with microtransactions, as Assassin's Creed was back in 2008. They've changed little bits, but it's just so bland and just it's the same as everything else it's like they've got a cookie cutter and just gone right this has worked for the last god knows how many years we're just going to create a new version of it pick out the bit that the framework chuck it over and we'll call it valhalla this time because (laughs) they've got horned helmets on instead of egyptian (laughs) hats and stuff like that and they just do it every year call of duty prime example every year they churn out the same game but they just put a different graphic filter over the top of it. They make it muddier or they make it techier and they go, oh, it's a new game. It's not. It's the same shite you've been peddling at us for the last decade, but you're just making charging us an extra 80 quid for the privilege. Which is essentially all sports franchise games as well at the minute. I mean, FIFA, probably the worst one, and I buy it every year anyway, and there are subtle changes, like you say, but not enough to warrant it being another 80-odd pound game. WWE ones up to a point recently were similar. The last couple of years they've moved away from that and actually tried to do something new and give people a bit more for their money, which is is a nice thing. But I think it, another thing it comes down to as well is not to harp on about how good it was back in the past, but when, when we were growing up with games and you had your GameCube, your PlayStation, uh, your Xbox, most franchises got three completely different games. So as a wrestling fan, we used to get GameCube had Day of Reckoning or WrestleMania. PlayStation had SmackDown versus Raw or the SmackDown games. Xbox had the Raw game. So you got, as a fan of a sport or or something like that, you got three different games to play every year. So if you didn't like the one that came out on one console, provided you've got the other consoles, you could go and pick a different one up and it plays completely differently. And if you love all of them, you've got three games a year that you can really sink your teeth into, which was the situation I was in. Not as much with FIFA, because they did try and keep that uniform across platforms. But then you had other football games. So it's like, this is football, uh, Pro Evolution, when it was still good. So... It seems like everything's been crammed down into one package these days for each each type of game. You've got one good football game. You've got one good wrestling game that goes across all platforms. And it, it just takes it away a bit for me. I preferred it when we had all this choice and three different studios were getting work to build a, a game, whereas now it's one studio that's almost soulless and just wants you to buy microtransactions every year, and that's it. And, and I think the bigger problem as well is... The way, the way we go on, it's like, oh, we only add one game a year. <laughs> but you but you look at the catalogue for the PlayStation, for the PS2, sorry, and even the PS1, the Xbox, the original Xbox, and the GameCube, you look at the catalogue, it was phenomenal. And it wasn't 
you know, like quite restrictive and small. They mm. had hundreds upon hundreds of games that appealed to such broad market. Whereas now it's like, oh, well, we know people don't really like horror games, so we should probably make it more action horror than anything else. And we're not going to put that much effort into it because we're going to release it. We're going to charge them 80 bucks to pre-order the damn thing. So we're not going to put a lot of effort in because we've already technically got their money, but we'll patch it afterwards anyway. So great. So I'm paying for a completely, you know, hacked up experience that I can hope that you're going to fix six months down the line and you're not just going to go like they did with Marvel's Avengers, which was oh, it's sold like absolute ass because it plays like absolute ass. So we're probably not going to uh, sort of look after the servers and maintain it longer than 18 months, I think, before they finally just went, yeah, we're, we're not going to support it anymore going forward. Or what was the Destiny ripoff? Oh. Um... That did absolutely dreadfully. Oh, yeah, um, I can't remember what it was called. It did well for about a week, didn't it? And then yeah, I it remember was by Bioware. One of our friends was saying how good it was, and then we went into Tesco, and it was like three quid, like two weeks after it came out. And it's like, yeah, this is terrible. Anthem. Anthem, that's it, yeah. Because it was EA making Bioware make a game that they couldn't possibly have made because it wasn't their speciality. But EA, in their literal, in their standard tantrum throwing, wanted something that was comparable to Destiny that Bioware had no rights making anyway because they make crafted single player experiences. But no, because EA had bought them, they wanted to make this soulless sellout of a replica. And then it bombed. And it's the same every time. I hate EA. I cannot stand them as a company. They had um they had a peak cap in Tesco with the Anthem logo on it, and the first week we went in it was twenty five quid, and then the week after we went in, and I'm not even lying, it was twenty five p. It was like the <laughs> biggest drop in the price of an item over the space of a week because no one wanted any of it, and it it obviously just I don't know if somebody had put the price tag on it as a joke or what, but I didn't. I wish I'd have bought it now to be fair because it's probably a bit of a collector's item because no one else wanted it. But yeah, it's. The way technology's moved on, it allows people to do this, and I think it's sad that you can now release a half but Even Nintendo are doing it so much, and they were like the people who put the most care and effort into their their home titles, and now even they're doing it with Mario Strikers that was terrible on release, and Wii Sports, they're not Wii Sports, Switch Sports or whatever they want to call it these days, that was crap. And it is, it's a sad indictment of the times that, that that's the way things have gone. And I think also, as good as it is that now pretty much anyone can publish a game if they've got the sort of knowledge to build it to completion and get it out there with, with the whole indie developer scene on Xbox and PlayStation and things. That also comes with, there used to be a bit of a level of quality control that I think is missing now. Because not so much on the consoles, but on Steam, you can churn anything out and like charge a quid for it. And some of it is so bad, it's good. But there's so much garbage to wade through on there, which is a sign, again, of the times, because now anyone can make something if they want to. Whereas back when we were buying stuff for the SNES and then PS1 and 64 and stuff, you had to have a lot of money behind you and you had to know what you were doing. It had to be a commercial success because you put a lot of money into it. Whereas now some kid in his bedroom can spend... 20 quid on some unity assets churn out a game that's a quid and if 20 people buy it he's broke even and if anybody else buys it he's laughing 
when actually it's all rubbish. But I, I think it is good that people can do that and, and the choice is there. I just think you've lost that level of quality control that they used to have from the price point entry. Yeah, and, and I think it's testament that while we are giving this and there is this level of accessibility to indie developers, so you do get sort of sleeper hits that sort of get through the cracks and you think, oh, actually, yeah, this is quite good. But then even when AAA companies are churning out stuff that hasn't been tested properly to the point of Cyberpunk 2077, Mm. I mean, good God, did that really, really shaft CD Projekt Red. I've got a bit of sympathy for them, though, because they didn't want to put it out, I'm pretty sure. They they kept delaying it, didn't they? And people were getting so annoyed with them that they were delaying it, they sort of had to release it. But I don't think they wanted to. I think if people hadn't have been so on at them, like, oh, I've wanted this game for years, and you keep saying it's coming and then it never does, if they'd have just stuck to the guns and said, look, it's not ready, we want another year on it, and then we'll put it out then, I think it would have been a great game because it's not a terrible game. It's just full of bugs and it's quite empty because they didn't finish filling most of the world up. But it could have been a really good game if they had just spent a bit more time on it and they've patched it since and made it moderately better. But they can't patch in whole expanses of empty world that should have had missions and that kind of thing in them. So I've got a bit of sympathy for them because I think it was the culmination of fans moaning that they wanted it now, now, now and shareholders worried that the stock price was going to dip if they didn't release it, when actually when they did release it, it went through the floor anyway. It it was a no-win situation for them. They either held on and the stock dropped, or they released it and the stock dropped anyway, and the reputation got tarnished. So I do have a bit of sympathy for for CD Projekt Red. I think they were in a bit of a no-win situation by that point, and they tried to do the right thing for long enough and then just got bullied into to churning out a subpar product and paid the price for it. And I'm not at all influenced by the fact that I had CD Projekt Red shares that went through the floor when they released the game. <laughs> but they did they did claw back a little bit, so I didn't lose too much on it. I feel bad for them because ultimately now, anything they release in the future is going to be tainted with the Dear God, here's hoping it's not a cyber another Cyberpunk 2077. You're never going to get the consumer confidence back unless they bang out the next three, four games that they do, unless they are perfect and they're like high 90s in terms of rankings. They're never going to claw back their reputation because The Witcher, The Witcher 3 was utterly phenomenal and they came very left field uh, as a developer to roll that out and then within the space of four years they've utterly decimated their share prices and utterly decimated the uh, population's opinion of how they perform as a uh, game developer which is sad i think bethesda did it the opposite way around didn't they they built up a lot of credibility and then released a load of buggy i mean still brilliant games but games that are absolutely riddled with bugs every time and still are to this day i mean how many skyrim re-releases have there been and there's still a load of bugs in that game but it's almost like that's their thing now like if if bethesda released a game with no bugs i think people would be disappointed (laughs) i think they need they need to be in there to some extent even if it's just the comical ones that send people shooting up to the moon or things like i don't mean i don't know if you saw we're going massively off off course now, but there was a bug in Skyrim when they were developing it where the carriage, you know, the one that you start in where you're a prisoner, just shot off into the stratosphere 
partway through the opening cutscene and there's nothing they could do about it. And it turned out that it was a B. There was a B programmed into the game and it had sort of parameters around it that it couldn't be moved by anything else in the game. So if the B just so happened to RNG fly in front of the carriage, the carriage hit it and launched itself into space. And and that took them like weeks to figure that out. And it's like, when you're thinking about it in that way, that level of detail in those games, there's bound to be stuff that always goes wrong. You're never going to get everything. But as long as they get all the stuff that's completely game-breaking out of it, I'm usually quite happy. There's a bit of a comedy element where something whizzes off to the sky or something. I'm not that bothered. The two for me are ones where it literally kills your game and you can't make progress, or ones where quests break that are for like special items and I can't get them. That's why I stopped playing uh, New Vegas because a quest broke where I was meant to get a special gun at the end of it. And I was like, oh, I wanted that gun. I'm just not going to play it anymore. And that was petty on my part. But that's the reason I stopped playing New Vegas. And I think Skyrim did something similar to me on one of the quests where I was stuck with a like a key item in my inventory that weighed quite a bit. So it was just messing me up. I couldn't, I think it was like a loot or something. And it didn't weigh loads, but I couldn't get rid of it because the quest broke, the quest line broke. So I just had to, and you can't put it in a chest or anything if it's a key item. So I just had to keep it with me, taking up space. So it's ones like that that annoy me and that I think they should fix. But ones where enemies just do strange things, I'm quite happy for them to leave those in because they're quite funny. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's one thing for like the odd enemy to do it however when you're trying to talk to an npc and they're clipping into a wall (laughs) or as you're talking to them they slowly sink into the floor so you're carrying on talking and you're slow your camera's slowly tilting down as you're talking to them but they don't pop back up to carry on the quest line then it's an issue um but i I think we've just spent the last 10 minutes slating (laughs) modern gaming um but to take it back to ico you, you don't have that level of janky glitchiness it is for all intents and purposes quite a well-crafted game like i said the combat is a bit janky but it's designed to be like that it's not like you're trying to hit an enemy and they're clipping through a wall to avoid you it is well made and the graphics are really pretty for the time really i mean you look at some ps2 games these days and you just go (laughs) but it is still quite beautiful I think, yeah, to that point, it took them four years to develop it, so they put the effort in to get that product out at the end of it. It was initially going to be a PS1 game, and they ended up developing it for so long, it transitioned over into PS2 and pushed the PS2 to its limits. If you've played the original one, because some of the footage I watched was the PS2 version, not the remake, there's a lot of frame dropping in it because it is just pushing that console to its limits. And that wasn't, I mean, 2001 wasn't late uh, Wasn't late into the PS2's cycle, was it? So to say that they'd already got it pushing its limits with that game is, is quite impressive, especially as they started developing it for a PS1, so it would have been way less powerful in what they designed at that point, and they, they overhauled it to be struggling for PS2. And it wasn't until the PS3 remake that it actually got that level 30 frames per second and and all looked as nice as it does so yeah again testament to them for coming up with something that's that's that high quality even back then i think we'll end up revisiting it the and a project of team ico that transitions between generations because their third game is is very similar but we'll 
finish up on Ico, move on to Shadow of the Colossus, and then we'll discuss the third one uh, at the end. Um, so, in terms of overall score for Ico... See, I don't feel like I should have too much input in this, because I've not actually played it. But looking at it, I would give it around the sort of 60 mark, just from what I've seen and, and what feeling I get of, if I had have played it, how much I would have enjoyed it. I think I'd have enjoyed it at first. I think I'd have probably dropped off. But I can see that it's stunning visually, even the, the original PS2 version. I can see that the gameplay mechanics are something I would have enjoyed playing, the puzzle-solving aspect of it. Not too much on the escort inside of it. I think even though it's a core gameplay mechanic, it probably lets it down a bit, but it needs to be there. Otherwise, it's just a generic action puzzle platformer, whatever you want to brand it, whatever they branded it. So I think it needs that mechanic, even though it's not one I'm fond of. So I would pitch it around the 60, but given that you've played it a lot more than I have, I'm quite happy to defer to you on on what score you give this one to be honest i haven't played it that much i've played it a couple of times i think to completion um but it's it's not one it was back in when i was a lot younger so it wasn't a game that i put a lot of attention into so you can play a game and not really absorb it really and i don't think ico was one of those that i played and absorbed very well i remember vividly chunks of it um and in fact i think it's one of those games that if you do like replaying older games you'll be very familiar with the first hour of it because you play it for an hour go oh yeah i can't believe i haven't played this in so long i can't believe i didn't finish it get an hour in stop playing it for a week and then never go back to it until it triggers in the back of your mind again and go, oh yeah, Ico, I haven't finished that. And you go back and you play the first hour again. So it's not one that I have particular affection for. But yeah, I'd agree with you, sort of low 60s, 62, 61-ish. Let's go 61. I've not updated the list on the website yet, so I'm not sure what we gave to the three last week. I can't remember. But Pokemon... Silver is 71 and Pac-Man's 47, so somewhere in between there I think is fair. Yeah, that sounds right. Moving on, <laughs> if we have to. Yeah, moving on to Shadow of the Colossus, which again was, was four years after the release of Ico. They've both got a very similar art style front cover, really. They're very minimalistic, very, but they managed to give you a snapshot of the game in the cover. Whereas a lot of things these days, you know, like Call of Duty, it's man with gun walking away from explosion or man pointing well, gun menacingly though. at the screen. Well, yeah, it is accurate. Um, <laughs> but this sort of, both of them sort of give you an insight into what the game is because Ico, it's in the middle of ruins and it's a boy dragging a girl along behind him, holding her hand. And Shadow of the Colossus is... Is a guy napping, is it? A guy asleep because he's bored? <laughs> <laughs> it's man on horseback facing off against giant colossus, and you know it is. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's not one I'm fond of. Even going back to it, I have gone back to it this week and had a quick play on it. It's just, there's too much in between the bits that are mildly entertaining. And I say mildly entertaining because I don't even really enjoy the colossus bits. Because I don't like that Oh, here's a here's a monster. Like, figure out how you climb up it. Oh, all right then. 
oh, he's got a bit of shaggy grass there, so you can grab that and climb up it, and then, oh, you must swing over there to that bit. But then he'll do something weird, or the controls will screw up, or your player just won't grab what he's meant to grab. And then you're back on the floor, and then you have to do the whole thing again. And it just... it it's not something that appeals to me. And I, like I said earlier, on, I know people love it and I know people really love it to the point that it's their favorite game and it has influenced loads of stuff. And I'm happy to admit that, but I just can't get anything out of it. I've, I've tried multiple times. It's not like I'm just dismissing it. I've sat and played it multiple times and I've beaten probably the first three, I think. And I just don't find any enjoyment in it. It doesn't change enough for me to be interested in it. They're all very samey. Or at least I found it was. It was a formulaic, and and to get there, you're climbing up cliff edges, and then that's what you do when you're at the bosses, except they move about a bit more. And yeah, it's just it's not one for me. It's not my type of game at all. And I'm happy to accept that other people are completely the opposite to me and love it, because I'm sure people would hate some of the games that I absolutely love. But it's just not for me, and I can't be any kinder than that to it. I will actually say... I can enjoy watching someone else play it more than I can enjoy playing it myself. So I've watched Let's Plays. I think the last one I watched was the Game Grumps one. And I did enjoy that because I enjoyed listening to their affection for it and how they tackled it. I don't think I could watch one of somebody playing it silently. But when you get a bit of commentary and stuff, I can accept that and and, and sort of enjoy it and appreciate it. So I don't 100% hate it. It's just so far removed from what I would consider a fun game for myself that I would never, ever choose to play it again. That's fair. I, I, They are all completely valid points, to be fair, because the controls, again, are janky. It, it's very distinct in both its art style and its gameplay. It's not very traditional, and I think it was a little bit left of field and a little unorthodox in the template for the game. I don't think any game had done it before, and a few games have tried to ape it since. Um, The vast swathes of bugger all between each Colossus fight, or boss fight, um, as they probably are, technically, um, because there's essentially nothing but massive expanse of world Um, for you to explore. There are other little bits you can do, so you can find lizards scuttling around the um, overworld, which you can shoot with a bow, and it increases your grip strength, so that's quite a fundamental part of the game. You need grip strength to be able to climb up them, Um, and I think that's probably up there with um, weapon degradation in terms of why the hell have you put this in my game? Because they again, it's something they included in Breath of the Wild, and the two of them, so <laughs> weapon degradation and fatigue mechanics, we'll call it, probably don't gel very well, so it's a good job they didn't include weapon degradation in this. But yeah, I, I think they use the the vastness of the world and the silence between action set pieces quite well, because it it does lull you into that familiarity of, oh, just trudging along here with my horse, going to go and try and find this next Colossus, and then it goes from naught to 100, because the Colossi are, true to their name, some of them are huge, and the puzzle side of it is working out how to get onto them um, and stay on them without the bloody things thrashing you off, because they are living beings at the end of the day. And they do, I mean, you know more than the size of a gnat to them, but you do 
ram a bloody great sword into uh, their soft, flashy parts. So they are understandably narcs, and they do try and throw you off, which is where your grip strength comes in. That is something I will say about it. The first bit when you come through that, because the first Colossus is, unless I'm mistaken, the big sort of tall, lanky one with the, like, slams his fist down at you, I think, when you're in, like, quite an open green area. And you come through a channel through some rocks, don't you, up a little bit of a hill, and it opens up into it. And I will say, when I first played that bit, I thought this looks absolutely stunning. And I think I was on probably on the remaster. Or was it the remake? They did a remake as well, didn't they? A remake and a remaster. They so. did a full remake. Yeah. So it could have been the remake I was playing. I can't remember which version was on PS Plus. But yeah, coming out of that channel in the rocks and seeing the big grassy area and then when the Colossus first comes up, I will admit I did think, oh, this looks absolutely fantastic. And then I tried to climb it and I was brought crashing back down to earth quite literally the amount of times that he just randomly fell off when he shouldn't have done. And it just the controls should be better for a game that relies that heavily on controls that would be my opinion yeah it's with how specific your control scheme is they they have tried to cram too much into it really if if we're being nice about it and we're being generous to players that can't get along with it you have got controls for your horse you've got controls for the main character and you've got controls for walking controls for combat controls for climbing and it, it is uh, for you know like terrain traversal and stuff like that it is a lot crammed into one game and with it being on the ps2 there's an area of subtlety that is lacking from the ps2 era and i think if you look at something like death stranding now that has a lot of ancillary stuff that's crammed into it but they make it work because they've got that there's the maturity of games development behind them where they can say oh well that didn't work in that game maybe we can work off this we're a shadow of the colossus you don't really have a lot of history to work off in terms of 3d terrain traversal and particularly the colossi themselves because they are part of the terrain but it's moving terrain so you've got hitboxes to take into consideration. And I think they have tried to put too much into it because you can still have horse combat in it as well. And that it that most modern games struggle with horseback combat and they don't do it very well. Um, so to go back to 2005, it, it's no wonder it's a janky game, really, but it is... It still works, for me, anyway. I think it gets a lot of brownie points for the visuals. The gameplay is almost secondary. It's like they've gone, we want to make this game that looks absolutely fantastic, and it's got these huge creatures in it that we're going to put loads of effort into designing and to the very minutest of details. And then they've gone, well, this is just a slideshow. What are we going to do with it now? And then somebody's gone, oh, let let people climb up them and stab them in the back of the head, and then that became the the gameplay for it. And that's that feels to me how it, it probably wasn't. But that feels to me how it was developed. The idea came first to make this beautiful land with these huge monsters in it, and then somebody went, "Well, how do we turn this into an actual game?" And that's when they came up with the terrain traversal and the the actual combat of the Colossi. And if they put a few other enemies in there as well, I think I'd have been more open to it. But like you say, from one, defeating one to finding the next, it's just a lot of nothing. 
and it is just looking at the landscapes, which are nice, but eventually that's not a game anymore, and you want some action to it. It's a bit like walking simulators. I've I've never really understood those. I want a bit more to it. I want a puzzle to solve, or I want, I don't know, something to discover, or a bit of action, or fighting, or something like that. Literally walking through and reading notes, but not actually being able to influence the world in any way other than finding things, for me isn't a game. It's a, an interactive movie. And that's almost how I feel about Shadow of the Colossus. It's a, a beautiful interactive movie where every sort of 20 minutes or so you actually have to do something and then the rest of it you're just going from point A to point B and it's just not my thing. But I am happy to to bow down to your greater knowledge on this one in terms of scoring because I think it's more fair that somebody scores it who gets the most out of it than somebody who's just not their kind of game whatsoever. No, that's, that's fair. I mean, I mean, there is a story to it. So it's not just here's a load of monsters go kill their ass. Um, so you are trying to you you play as Wanda, which you know ironically t- uh, named to be honest because that's all you tend to do really wander about. Um, and you've been told by a disembodied voice, which you know you should always trust the disembodied voice in your head to go to this far off land where there are sixteen colossi, and the voice in your head is telling you that if you kill them, you can bring your loved one back to life. Um, and every time you kill one of the colossi, and there is a bit of a poignancy to it because these are living creatures that are just bumbling about, minding their own business, and you go stick a sword sort of hilt deep into the head and all this black smog comes out and slowly starts corrupting you so your body slowly starts turning black and you get veins round your eyes and up your arms by this point after the first couple you'd be thinking is the voice in my head actually doing the right thing here (laughs) but you essentially get into a pact with the devil so the voice in your head is an all-powerful demigod sort of devil thing called Dormin who will bring your loved one back to life if you do this favour for it, and it works out about as well as a deal with the devil always works out. He does bring your loved one back to life, however, at the cost of the main character's life. Spoiler alert. Oh, here we go, spoilers um, again. But but it, it does it in such a, a gradual way that you do feel like you're slowly making progress and that the, the outcome may be different, that you can avoid dying at the end of it essentially and there are little mini story nuggets that do link Ico to Shadow of the Colossus and I'm not going to get into them here because we are rapidly running out of time (laughs) but uh, yeah it's before we move on though I think seeing as we've gone into spoiler territory do we need to discuss aggro oh yeah don't don't for the love of god get attached to your horse because I grow the horse. Um, he he doesn't die. He doesn't die. I will say that. But there is there is a part that you're r- racing away on a bridge um, after defeating the last colossus, I think, and the bridge collapses, and Agro throws you off to save you while the bridge collapses under him. So there is that level of poignancy. You've just defeated these 16 colossi to save your your loved one and you, Agro has been there with you because he's your main form of transportation between the colossi and in some cases he is integral to taking down the colossi because there's a, a flying one 
where you need to travel at speed alongside it in order to be able to leap from his back onto the wings, which you wouldn't be able to do at normal running pace because Wanda runs like um, he's got something wrong with him Um, or that he's on dental anaesthetic. (laughs) He just sort of flails around and runs. Runs like Woody from Toy Story would be the (laughs) nicest (laughs) way I could put it. But yeah, so there is a point where you think, oh my God, the closest thing I've got to a friend in this desolate landscape has just given up his life to save me. But he he does come back at the end. Not as a ghost or anything like that. He does come back and he is injured, but he's okay. I'm going to have to put a big spoiler warning on this episode. Oh no. I thought last week we got away with it, apart from revealing Samus was female. But this one's gone and upped it. Oh yeah. So score-wise... As I say, I'm going to defer to you on this one. I might just knock a couple of points off for my opinion once you once you pick your score. I I'm I'm going to give it an eighty because I I do rate it higher than Pokemon Pokemon Gold and Silver. Um, I, I do rate it more than most games to be honest with you, but that that's my childhood attachment to it. I think. I'm not sure I can have it going in higher than Bioshock. Okay. I've I've got some principles, and this is this is one of them. Uh, so Bioshock got a seventy nine. So if you say eighty, and I was to say like seventy four, and we bring it somewhere in the middle, seventy six, seventy seven, seventy six. Yeah, I'd be happy with seventy six, seventy seven. Yeah, there we go then, seventy six, and that's. I feel like I've had a bit of impact on that, if not if not too much, because if I was rating it on my own, it would have been round 50 i would have said okay but knowing how much people like it and i shouldn't be influenced by this but i am a little bit knowing how much people like it and how much like we we said it's influenced other games so it's influenced i think ico influenced twilight princess but shadow of the colossus has clearly influenced some of the other zelda titles with the the climbing mechanics in breath of the wild and that kind of thing i would be very surprised if it didn't play into that and there's a few other games, I believe, as well, not off the top of my head, that, that it's also influenced. So, yeah, I can't completely disregard that. So I'm happy with a 76. Uh, so in terms of overall influencing, um, Shadow of the Colossus influenced one of the Castlevania games. So Castlevania Lords of Shadow, I think it was on the 360. That had um, similar giant monster combat where you were climbing all over them and stabbing them in the head, but the key difference was that they only put three in rather than the 16 they did for the Shadow of the Colossus. And they released a game, there was a game released either last year or the year before called Pray for the Gods, which is spelt P-R-A-E-Y rather than P-R-E-Y for the Gods, because Pray for the Gods P-R-A-Y isn't a pun, because you literally pray to a god anyway. And Pray for the Gods, they went with, and then they were approached by Bethesda, I think, who uh, particularly Arcane Studios, who said, you can't call it that in case people mix it up with Prey, the game that came out in 2018, I think, which is completely different, totally different game, <laughs> totally different concept, and this one has another four words stapled on after it. But no, so they had to call it P-R-A-E-Y for the gods, which isn't a word, but it's Shadow of the Colossus, but with the missing bits that you pointed out, so bits in between the 
colossus battles so you do have little enemies that you do have to fight the terrain has more things to do in it you get little side quests you get a grappling hook or a hook shot which is okay up until the point where it breaks so that has weapon degradation in it which ain't great and stamina mechanics and the fact that the game itself still plays like arse (laughs) so it's not great Somebody did mention it on Facebook, actually. One of our listeners, Lee, mentioned it and said that it wasn't great, but it was cheap, which uh, puts it up there for me. I love a good bargain. But I can't imagine it's still going to be one one for me because the concept of it is still something that I wouldn't enjoy that much. But at least if there's other bits in between, I might get a bit more out of it. it. It's one of them that I reckon if it was on Game Pass, I'd give it a go. But to actually pry my wallet open and part with actual hard cash for it, I might give it a miss. To defend it, Shadow of the Colossus itself is about 20 quid now on PS4. So Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I think it is on it was on PS Plus at some point. Probably. I don't know if it's still available for free. I don't know how it works on PlayStation anymore. They've changed the the model so many times of how that free games thing works that I don't know what the rules are anymore. I'm more of an Xbox person for Game Pass these days, but it was on there at some point because I definitely had it. But just talking back to last week's show, while it's fresh in my mind, we were talking about how Nintendo don't name games after their main characters, and I said there was another one, and I couldn't remember what it was. Kid Icarus. Yes. Because he's called Pit, isn't he? Not Kid Icarus. Yes. So, yeah, they went through a real phase of naming games after people that weren't the titular character in them, and that was the other one that I could I'm sure there's probably more. If you know of any others, feel free to stick it on our Facebook page and we might mention it in another episode, especially if you go by way of Patreon. Nudge, nudge. That's not working. Okay. I keep trying it every week and it's, <laughs> it never actually it's a works. Shameless plug, maybe it's one a shameless day. plug. <laughs> maybe one day somebody will go and subscribe to the like two quid tier and we'll we'll have a bit of value in our lives and know that we'd, what we're doing matters. But um, we've got a few minutes left if you want to talk about the third one in the series, which I'm sure we probably end up doing a special on at some point because I know you've got a lot to say about it that we won't probably fit in in the next three minutes. Yeah, so the third game in the series for Team Ico was The Last Guardian, which had a bit of a Duke Nukem-esque production cycle where Sony kept announcing it for about seven consecutive years it's um e3 um to which everyone eventually got to a point where they announced it and they went all right okay uh, <laughs> and no one raised an eyebrow anymore because they're like oh yeah here we go old man sony's back again saying that uh, last guardian's gonna be released this year and it had that long uh, development cycle that it was never gonna live up to the hype and it it has striking similarities with ico in terms of you are not in terms of overall gameplay because you are a young boy who is sort of trying to navigate a castle slash ruins with this giant fox cat bird goat thing that can shoot lightning from its tail um but it's it's like a baby version of it so it's still the size of a house um, and you still use the same climbing climbing mechanics from Shadow of the Colossus to sort of get onto its back. But there's the symbiosis between the characters. So you essentially have to train it as the boy to go certain places. So when you first start out, you're t- he will talk to it in 
typical team Ico gibberish language. Um, and it'll just look at you like a cat would, basically, when you're talking to a cat and it just gives you that vacant stare of, no, nah, I'm not getting a word of this. But then as your relationship develops, it learns to follow commands and it can get up to high places by jumping up them. And you, as the young boy, can get into tight spaces to sort of pull levers and open up the drawbridge to the next area sort of thing. So there is that nice little symbiosis. It's just unfortunate that I think they pulled the control scheme from Ico through Shadow of the Colossus and into... Um, the Last Guardian, because it still plays like us. <laughs> There's no nice way around it. It is. I don't know what it is about the Team Ico. I don't know whether they're on something when they do the control scheme for the games, because they're just so janky. And the, when you use the boy to command the thing to the ferret, weasel, otter, kestrel thing, or whatever the hell it is, to climb up something, you never know whether it's going to climb up something or climb back down five levels that you've just spent the last hour and a half commanding it to climb. So I suppose it is realistic in as far as if you were trying to do it with an actual cat, commanding your cat to do something, and whether it would just carry on staring at you, climb up onto the thing you're pointing at, or whether it would just start grooming its nads. <laughs> there is that level of reality to it. But yeah, unfortunately, The Last Guardian is a bit of a down point for the games company really because it, it was never going to live up to the hype it's still good and there are still moments that hit you in the feels but it, it's not shadow of the colossus and it's not ico is it like a virtual pet like does it do you do you improve its abilities by giving it things or playing games with it and that kind of thing or there's no visible stats for it however you can train it to catch barrels so you can pick up barrels and throw them at it. And initially, when you throw the barrel at it, it literally just stares at you and the barrel gracefully curves through the air and bounces off its head uh, as it looks stunned at you. But after a certain amount of interaction with it and as you go through, they, they are sort of chaptered levels. It does learn, in inverted commas, and it will catch the barrels in its mouth or it'll see that you've got a barrel and you're on a higher platform and it will jump up to sort of get to you and the barrel. But, yeah, it's it's like trying to train a cat. Um, th there's a, a section in the game where you're in a deep pool of water and there's a, a gate under the water and trying to command it to swim underwater and go through this gate, you have to be in a specific area of the water with it looking at you for it for you to command it, it then goes starts to dive. You then have to press the grab button as it's going down to grab onto its tail so it pulls you through or it just dives through the water, pops up the other side of the gate and you're just there like, brilliant, now I'm going to have to command you to come all the way back and then try it again. Um, so it is, again, it's very janky. Um, and God love them, despite the jank in their games, they are still very pretty, very emotional, and the soundtrack's always, always good, but they, I just think they need a bit of a uh, time out and some time doing um, a game development class, where they, <laughs> they tell you how to actually design a game with decent controls, because they ain't that. Have they released anything since? Because that was quite a while back now, wasn't it? 
Uh, that was back in 2018, I think, and there is nothing on the cards for them at the minute. I was kind of hoping, because I did a quick search prior to doing this, and I was hoping that they were going to announce an ICO remaster or an ICO remake or something like that, and there's just nothing from them um, to the point where I think it's Blue Point Games did the remake of Shadow of the Colossus, not Team Ico. And Blue Point mm. Games did um, the remakes of Uncharted. And they did the remaster of Demon's Souls. So they do a lot of remasters, loving, caring remasters. But um, th- there's just nothing on the cards for them at all. Although, in other news, I have seen that there is a very high likelihood that we are getting a Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door remaster for the switch that's a weird one though because it doesn't need remastering it looks brilliant and the art style's as good as it's gonna get so i don't really know what they're gonna remaster in that i think it's probably remaster but it's just porting it to the switch and they're just gonna yeah. make it run at 60 fps <laughs> i'm also concerned at the value of my copy of the thousand year door if this is true i might have to get that sold sooner rather than later but I think that about wraps up the, the Team Ico episode, as I think we'll call it. Uh, we've not decided next week yet. I feel like we should do something we both dislike, because we've not really done that yet. But I'm looking through the list, and at the minute I can't find anything that jumps out, but I'm sure we'll figure something out. Well, there are two games on there that I know for a fact you'll dislike, and I used to love but i don't think there's an awful lot i'll be able to say about them so potentially that but i think we need to leave this one on a cliffhanger because we haven't even decided yet so keep an eye on facebook if there's anything you want to recommend us to play facebook or instagram's the place to send it to us we might start doing episodes that aren't all about the list just to break things up a bit i mean i'd love to go start to finish and get through the whole hundred and then branch off into ones we want to do but if we want to vary it up a bit because these are all meant to be actually good games if we want to talk about rubbish games we might have to deviate slightly but we'll decide on that at a later point so i think with that covered that's it for this week so i'll say goodbye from me and it's goodbye from me (laughs) 